Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another fun and exciting episode of Back to Basics. If you don't know who I am by now, then what in the name of God have you been watching at this point? But hey, just in case you decided to jump in on what the like 15, 16th episode of, of a series, uh, I There's am... nothing wrong with that. Don't shame new viewers. I, I ain't going to shame newbies. I Personally, I'm one of those guys that starts back at the beginning when I find something. But hey, you know, more power to you. You know, you want to jump right in with Abram and his lot? Ha <laughs> ha, that was a joke. Uh, then go for it. Obsessive nerd. You know. And this obsessive nerd, by the way, is Pastor Don. Uh, you'll find me on all the websites and what have you. And joining me is our favorite, our friend, the best, the Mr. Rogers of Pot Smoking Hippies, Courtney. <laughs> you paint way too friendly of a picture of me. <laughs> I'm sitting here covered in human skulls. Like, come on. Hey, you dress for the passage. Like, you, you, you dress for the passage you have, not the passage you want. And, you know, today we've, we've got a human skulls level sort of passage. We've got the passage we have. Yeah. Should we and just dive right in? Let's dive right in. I'll go ahead and read it because it is just flush with all these Hebrew names. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'm not reading this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. Oh, I wow. do not blame you. We are, for those of you who don't know, we are looking at Genesis chapter 14. Uh, we're going to the yeah. first half of the chapter here, which is Lot's captivity and rescue, starting from verse 1, because that's where the chapter begins, and continuing on to verse 16. We'll talk about Melchizedek and all of that stuff a little bit later. Today, we're going to be looking at Lot's captivity and rescue, which is the header we're given for a verse that actually has less to do with that and more to do with out and out nonsensical warfare. So, without any, have that. without any further ado, let's get into one of the Bible's biggest early days action scenes. Genesis chapter 14. In the days of King Amraphel of Shinar, King Arioch of Elisar, King Keldom, oh sorry, that one I actually had trouble with. King uh, Chedorlamer of Elam, God, that's tough, uh, and King Tidal of Goim, these kings made war with King Bera of Sodom, King Birsha of Gomorrah, King Shinab of Adma, King Shem Shemeber of Zeboim, and the King of Bela, that is Zoar. All these joined forces in the Valley of Sidon, that is the Dead Sea. Twelve years they had served Chedorlamer, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the 14th year, Kirdolamar and the kings who were with him came and subdued the Rephaim in Astaroth Karanim, the, Zu the Zuzim in Ham, and the Emim in Shave Kirithaim. Wow, man. You, I went to seminary and these are tough. Let me be clear. Kirithaim? What? Is it Kirithaim? It, it's Sheva Kitabai. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how to pronounce Hebrew for the life of me. I do, and it still takes me a couple passes. So, okay, where were Enim and Sheva and the Horites in the hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran on the edge of the wilderness. Clearly, we all know where that is. Uh, then they turned back and came to En Mish, Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and subdued all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites who lived in Hazan Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out and they joined battle in the valley of Sidon with king uh, Kedolamar of Elam, king Tidal of Goim, king Amphrael, 
of Shinar, King Ariach of Elisar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddim was full of bitumen pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, uh, who lived in Sodom and his goods, and departed. Then one who escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshol and Anar, these were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his nephew had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and routed them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the goods and also brought back his nephew Lot with his goods and the women and the people. And somewhere along the lines, he probably went, yeah, booyah. You know, the military victories, guys like that. That's a lot. That is a lot. Um, like that is some straight up warfare. And of course, you got you got me going, uh, going full Tolkien nerd, honestly. Um, yeah. I can see that because I'm uh, I'm reading this and I'm like, Elisar, you say? Now you see, I take a totally different approach to this because uh, if you're a fan of um, like early days JRPGs, uh, which I am unashamedly, um, you can tell that Genesis chapter 14, part one, is where the video game Xenogears took most of its lectionary from, <laughs> like all of its terms come from pretty much this chunk of this chapter yeah because you've got everything from zohar to zeboim um you got elam which is edom you, you got so much stuff in here that it is i was wondering why you seem so comfortable with a lot of these i mean like i know you read the original language and all that but it's also like this can't be something you go over frequently. <laughs> no, no, but, I'll, be, I'll be honest. I don't, as you can tell, when I got to Hirdor uh, Laumer, um, like, yeah, that one is not one I come across very often. Uh, yeah. But Elam, uh, Elasar, uh, Elam, Elasar, Steinar, Gwyn, Goar, Zeboim. Like, not only have I, you know, actually studied how these are to, to be pronounced, but I am a gigantic Xenogears fan, and they cribbed most of these places uh, as names and titles of stuff in that series. So, yeah, I know this stuff. Um, so, yeah. Okay, so what content do we actually have to go over here? Like More than you might think. Um, I was, just before our recording, as I, as I pointed out to you here, I was engaged in a little bit of light reading. Um, yeah. Digging through some older commentaries about this. And one of the things I found particularly interesting is I'm reading, the, the commentary that I'm reading here uh, is straight out of the early 1950s. And it is exactly as problematic as you would expect on a lot of things for something written in the United States in the 1950s. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and say that, like, if if purchasing the Interpreter's Bible commentary set is on your to-do list because you're looking for progressive literature, don't bother. Um, but it does have some good historical commentary. And um, 
And it caught me right off guard because right at the beginning of their commentary, it says this, it says, so it is true that this story of Abraham the warrior has been a welcome passage for many preachers. So have the many other accounts of fighting under the banner of the God and of the armies of Israel. There's much satisfaction when what old instincts press upon us can be linked with piety and the stirring of our blood can be indulged as a fulfillment for our souls. Um, and he goes on to explain, of course, this is a bad thing, uh, which blow me away for a 1952 commentary, but that is fundamentally what's happening here is this is a passage wherein the glories of war and holy crap, Abraham is a warrior king, heck yeah, is often preached about when when this passage does tend to come up it's not a, a common passage but it does come up once in a while um but is that the point of this passage are they giving glorification to the process of war here to, to abram's act of war uh to say nothing about the much larger talk about all the the kings and their war are yeah. we actually glorifying it or is there something else going on here I mean, I, I have a feeling you you know a bit more of the answer than this, but if I could hazard a guess based on the stuff that we've been talking about lately, I'm going to go with yeah. Um, my guess is this is a matter, and you know, I'll get corrected if, if I'm wrong here, um, but like it very much sounds like with so many other things, it's like, why is the Bible talking about this? Well, because it was something that people, you know, cared about and wanted there to be talk in the Bible about because it was an important thing in their lives and their religion is an important thing it, it, it makes sense it's not even necessarily meant as a criticism but i think you've hit upon an answer to the question why was it included in the text um which is probably because they're like yeah of course we want our our patriarch to also be a warrior king at times that's just how we do in the ancient bce hebrew communities um yeah. but the the other question is why is it in here and is this what it actually means in terms of from God to us? Setting aside the human aspect for a while, in terms of what God is telling us through the text, is God actually saying the same thing through the story? Is that what's what's meant from here? And I would say that the answer to that is no. Um, the first points I would raise here is that God is not mentioned in this passage at all. Let me go ahead and repeat that in case anybody wasn't listening. There is no mention oh, of the Almighty anywhere in this first chunk of chapter 14. There are exactly two things discussed. The war between the cities of the plains and the small kings. And the capture and rescue of Lot. They're all done through a human eye in human ways and with human motivations. There is no mention of divine command, endorsement, or encouragement. There is not a single indication that God's urging was at all present in the decision of the kings to go to war, in the decision of the kings to capture Lot, in the decision of Abram to go after Lot and exert violence on those who captured him. No, It's history. It's not yeah. to do with religion at all. Exactly. Huh. This is not a religious text in the sense that we would modernly understand. This is meant to establish characteristics for Abraham and to establish historical background for the kings and the line of the Hebrews, which fun fact, uh, and this is not something we can drive a lot of meaning out here. Um, in verse 13, the man who had escaped came and reported this to Abraham the, or Abram the Hebrew, um, which is uh, 
Así muy bien. Abraham ha, Abraham ha ibiri. Ha ibri, sorry. Abraham ha ibri. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta flux the, the Hebrew muscles after getting oh, scored by this verb. You, you call me <laughs> out on that. I'm gonna throw it out there. Yeah, Abraham ha ibri. <laughs> yeah, so Abraham ha, 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 that one tongue size me all the time too. Ha ibri. Abram ha ibri is literally what we translate now as Abram the Hebrew. But the term ha ibri, literally the is ha, and then ibri is the term itself. Ibri is the term we translate now as Hebrew, but it literally just means the one from beyond. So this is the first. That's super cool. This is the, the first iteration of the term Hebrew that we get in the Bible. Up until this point, it was the people of Israel, which, well, that comes later, uh, the people of God. Something like that. The, the, this is where we really start getting the idea of, of being a Hebrew. Uh, it's from Abram Ha'ibri. Uh, and that's literally the one who comes from beyond. The other commentary I was looking at here parsed this in terms of one who crosses over. Uh, and then one who crosses rivers or something like this, which is fitting for Abram the nomad. Um, yeah. This is why oftentimes you'll see God's people in the story described as Israelites after, you know, Israel is the person. Um, but you'll see that more described for them once they settle down, the Israelites or the Jews. But when they're nomadic, they're more often described as the Hebrews. Uh, because Hebrew has a much more nomadic uh, context to it. So that huh. is, again... We're, we're this is the origin of the term then? As far as I'm aware, yeah. I, I mean, I could be wrong. Again, not a Jewish scholar. Um, I'm sure there are Jewish scholars out there watching our videos with great interest who could tell me exactly how I'm wrong about that. Um, but to the best of my knowledge, such as it is, I think this is where the term gets its its uh, origin. Um, so that's kind of cool. Like, it, it doesn't tell us much religiously. Um, but... This is the origin of Abram as a people. So up until this point, it was just Abram the dude and Abram the dude who sold his wife into sexual slavery and got a whole bunch of stuff for his trouble. Um, now it's Abram the Hebrew, the one who crosses over. Uh, and the term Hebrew begins to, de to describe his cadre, his group, his people, his organization, if you will. And so that, that's a small detail, but it does tell us a lot of what's going on here. Another thing worth mentioning too, by the way, this big chunk at the beginning that we keep not talking about, this war between the, the kings of the, of the cities of the plain. Um, we've got Shinar, Arioch, or, or Shinar, Elisar, Elam, Goim, uh, which are a series of small tribal kings. And then they're getting themselves uh, in a fight with, Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, and Bela, which is Zoar. So we have got kind of a big sort of knockdown drag out. Um, but let me see here. The directions on this are confusing. But um, yeah, so you've got this war between a bunch of really big kings from one place and a bunch of really small kings from, from somewhere else. And the kings that are coming in take a route to get there that doesn't make any sense. They say that the Valley of Sidim is where they fight, meaning that this is before the Dead Sea exists. Uh, because the Valley of Sidim, that is the Dead Sea, they're fighting in the valley. So this is the valley that eventually becomes the Dead Sea, which doesn't make 
a whole lot of sense in terms of temporal history. So there's a lot about this whole chunk of war that doesn't make historical or geographical sense in the, in the way we would consider a historical text to make sense. That's, sorry, just unexpected, like weird stuff. And like, how do you parse that? Part of it is, and I come back to something that even my New Testament professors back at seminary said, is we have to understand that the purpose of history in the ancient world isn't the same as the purpose of history in the modern world. History in the modern world is to set down an objective retelling of events so that people can go back to them objectively and understand with objectivity what objectively was happening objectively. At least some um, theory. Yeah, that's the, the goal of modern history. The goal of ancient history was to establish a narrative that tells the story of how our people came to be. Um, it doesn't have to, the concept of objective truth wasn't even really a thing yet. Uh, so we're looking at this with a modern eye, expecting objective truth and getting massively confused by the fact that none of the details line up. <laughs> yeah. But what was important here was it was placing Abram and indeed Lot in the context of ongoing conflicts between the, the soon to be late cities of the plain. Um, and all of these guys, whether they're you know the big guys or the little guys, uh, Shinar, Elsar, Elam, Goim, Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, and Bela Zoar, um, those are the cities of the plains. And uh, later on, we'll see the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, which are the two we always talk about. Uh, those are the two we always talk about because that's, that's the cities where Lot lived, but all of the cities of the plain were obliterated. That's all of the remaining ones. Now, some of these are getting kind of wiped out in this war here, so not all of them are going to be left by the time we get to Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, yeah, I was, I was thinking that while we were reading. I'm like, wait, so they sacked Sodom and Gomorrah. Aren't they about to be important, though? Yeah, like, I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah isn't destroyed here. Their armies are wrecked. And if you'll notice... Um, the enemy took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and their provisions and went their way. Like the army whipped the crap out of them, took all their provisions and then just left. Like we, we beat you in a fair fight. We're done. We've proved our point. This was these Kings coming in from the other side saying, we need to teach you all a lesson about your rebellion. Cause if you look at the okay, beginning, then, then why, what about verse 12? They also took lot. Why? <sighs> because lot was with there. Them. Lot was with them. Um, like at the battle. I, I'm guessing uh, either that or they sack or they like sack. Why the would they not? It, again, not super clear. No, it's really not. Um, my read on this was originally that they just kind of beat the armies. They might have sacked the city. They might not, but they just took took stuff and left. They didn't like obliterate the city. They didn't make them not a country anymore. Again, that's a that's a modern inference too when it comes to warfare, because we're used to the idea of. Okay, when you're going to fight with somebody and you go to war against a city, you drop a nuke or two on it, and you wipe it off the map, and that city isn't a thing anymore. You do the Genghis Khan thing. You fill in all the rivers, you salt the land, and there shall be no more here ever again. And you create the deserts around Baghdad. You know, you do what you do. Uh, that's modern warfare. In ancient warfare, like, we're dealing with a rebellion, and these kings are coming in to smack the crap out of this re rebel government, put them in their place, take a bunch of their stuff to teach a lesson and then leave because they don't want to be in the city. We have our own city. What do we need your city for? Hmm. Like, we just want you to keep paying tribute and know your place. That's all. Yeah. Um, 
So we're not dealing with destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah yet. Um, you know, you, you got to piss off a much higher authority to earn that. Um, yeah. Which, you know, they do. And we'll talk about why that is later. Um, but what this is all doing here is it's placing Lot and Abram in the context of the society that's existing here, the, the geopolitical conflicts that are happening here. And it's moving us from Abram and Lot as nomads who will occasionally, and I'll remind people of this often, sell their wives into sexual servitude in order to get rich. Um, we're moving from that kind of nomadic independent sort of mentality to them existing within a local region and its extant social and governmental systems. Um, Abram doesn't totally uh, interact with, take control of, or like become part of those systems in the way that Lot does. Um, and there's a longer, broader lesson here between Abram and Lot about that particular choice. Um, Lot keeps getting involved with Sodom and Gomorrah. He keeps becoming part of the systems. And as we find out later, of course, Sodom and Gomorrah get wiped out, as do all the other cities in the plains, for having excess of bread and resources and failing to help the poor and the needy and the widow and the orphan and all them. Like, they were not charitable, they weren't hospitable, and God struck them down for it. Uh, these are the people that Lot keeps getting involved with, you know, like proto-America. And because he keeps doing that, he keeps running into trouble. He gets involved with Sodom, he goes to live in Sodom and he's immediately ransacked by invading kings and Abram who didn't get involved with this and has all the resources needs to go save his poor uh, nephew. And what does poor nephew do? He goes right back and settles in Sodom again. We have heard the story of how that ends and we'll get to that later. So there is a meta story that's happening here about involvement with empire. Anyway, you got me preaching there for a second. <laughs> well, I mean, again, like the we've talked about the odd historical context of like how history was written and mm -hmm. all of that, but it is kind of a, I mean, when you take out, if you shorten down the names and, and like replace them with initials or what have you so that you can see the real length of what you're looking at, mm -hmm. it's not long. Yeah. Like it's really just... There were these guys, they kung fu fought, and they kung fu caught the 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 kung fu fought. Those kicks were not actually as fast as lightning, and then God sent down actual lightning to compare. <laughs> yeah, but the actual lightning isn't even in this part. So, like, I've, yeah. I, I the, honestly, a small round of applause that we've managed to drag an entire episode out of this. Sorry if this one was boring, y'all. <laughs> Honestly, I, th I think that even in this stuff, though, there's there's things worth knowing, like knowing where, you know, Haib comes from, knowing that there is this cool. story going on. Like, there is still good stuff here. It's not that as... That was really cool to learn, yeah. yeah. It's not exactly as narratively fulfilling as some of the bigger stories, and, that, and that's true. Not every passage in the Bible is a narrative banger. Are um, you going to title this one, War is Boring? <laughs> oh... <laughs> I have so many ideas for the title of this one. Most of them are Xenogears references. It'll have to compete. Come on, who are you talking about? I can't. I can't pretend to to like even be secondhand ashamed. Like I just finished watching through all of Trigun again, and I'm sitting here and I'm like, "There's allegory to be talked about here." 
So I'm just as big of a nerd. I gotta rewatch that too myself now that you remind me. Please do. It's so good. I want to squeal about it with people. It holds you know, up. I, well, we're, it we're, mostly holds up. There's a couple things that I'm like, why did they do this? Yeah, I mean, it was an old one. Not, and not, we're not, not going, we're not going to we turn this totally start into, an anime show. <laughs> we're not going to turn this Bible discussion video slash podcast into an anime discussion Bible podcast whatever show. But I, I, I will say though, if you if you do watch anime, Trigun's worth watching for its English voice acting, which is a rare thing to actually get good. That's um, good. Anyway, so I think that covers just about anything everything that I've got. Anything else you wanted to poke at before we go? No, I think we're good. All right, so then I guess we will call it for today. Uh, Courtney, I believe you have a, a typical unusual request for folk. Like, share, and subscribe. Uh, on, check out the right. Discord. You know. Yeah, we're also launching a brand new video series uh, that by the time this comes out will have been going for a while. Um, so I'm recording this this the a day after I've recorded the first episodes of that, but. By the time this, we got a much bigger runway on these episodes than we do the other one. So by the time this is out, the other one will have been running for a while. Uh, we work called, ahead. <laughs> yeah, we do work ahead. And thank God for pre-planning. But this other series, Untitled, is basically what we're doing in lieu of Sunday sermons uh, for the time being. And I'm doing that in concert with uh, Unfailing Love Church in uh, Indiana uh, with a couple of uh, evangelicals who are uh, finally realizing, among many others, that most of what they're hearing in those communities is a little heretical and are trying to be more, you know, Christ-like. So if you're looking for some interesting conversations, another one to check out, you'll find it right here on the YouTube stream, podcast channel, same place as all the other stuff. So if you aren't subscribed yet and also liked and commented as the, the wise woman to my, we're going to say left, is saying, please do that. Uh, otherwise, you know, go ahead and have yourself a good week. We're praying for you. We're cheering for you. We hope we'll see you on the Discord server. And otherwise, we'll see you in the next episode. Take care. Bye. Bye.